Malcolm Honline um, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us live via telephone on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nahum. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I thank you for that. And... um, you know, I don't. I don't know where to begin the outrage. <laughs> Frankly, if you would have been with us uh, last week, I, I think you know where the outrage would have begun. And well, you know what? Why not start there? We'll begin the outrage this week the way we would have begun it last week, and that is with the report that UNRWA employees um, from the United Nations uh, were actually complicit with the enemy in attacking and um, terrorizing um, Israelis on October the 7th. Your reaction to this very, very disturbing news story? Truly disturbing, but not surprising. And those who have been regular listeners over the years know that we have discussed this. We've talked about not only UNRWA, UN agencies, but particularly the misuse of funds and the... Um, activities of the of employees uh, of UNRWA and other UN agencies, plus the use of their facilities to store weapons. This goes back many years already. There's a long history, and we've had investigation after investigation, supposedly, uh, of this by the United Nations. Uh, Israel has documented this repeatedly. Now you have this very blatant demonstration, not only the participation in the outrages of October 7th by members of the staff of the of UNRWA, but 3,000 UNRWA employees, teachers, uh, signed an, uh, uh, an online declaration celebrating October 7th. I mean, there's just one item after another. You've seen how the UNRWA facilities have been storage houses for weapons, how tunnels have come up in them, how they've given cover to the terrorist activities of Hamas and, and Pidge and others. So all of this has been well documented and already you have people demanding that we reopen the funding, that we re- all of the money for America alone, it's over $300 million and it all together over 500 million and close to a billion dollars have gone to help finance the activities and even the aid, uh, all of this stuff that goes in, half of it, gets cut off, even now, goes to the terrorists. Uh, I, I know that the head of the Shin Bet said it's 60% of the aid trucks entering Gaza end up in, in the hands of Hamas, and their leadership all along would take what they wanted off the top and sell them to the people and charge them for it. So the corruption of these agencies, the, the their inappropriate activities, the blind eye, the UN turned to it, all of this has been well documented, and it's, t- it's taken a very heavy toll on uh, on Israel and the security situation. Uh, the number of countries that have frozen their funding, in addition to the United States, is is quite long, and uh, meaning uh, frozen their funding to UNRWA. And I'm wondering what the entire 
United States contribution to the United Nations is. In other words, is this $300, $400 million specifically for for this part of the agency that's supposed to be doing what they're supposedly supposed to be doing in Gaza in the Middle East? That That's just, that's just one p- little piece of what the United States does in terms of funding the entire United Nations. Am I right about that? Absolutely. This money where we're talking about is only money to UNRWA. And remember, the U.N. has other specific agencies only servicing and providing aid to, to Palestinians and two propaganda committees for which millions of dollars have been set aside. And as you know, we've talked about it the, the, uh, in the past year that they set up yet an additional committee with unlimited funding, unlimited mandate, unlimited timing to do nothing but to prosecute Israel and the – uh, Palestinians are the most, as they call them, pampered people in the world. They receive more aid per capita than anybody else. Think of all of these hundreds of millions of dollars annually that went in, that was used, and the, and the funds. Uh, this is just in the case of UNRWA, right. but the many billions, billions that came in every year, including a lot from the United States, in addition to the three hundred and thirty or forty million dollars we give to UNRWA that went into 500 miles of underground tunnels, which is so hard to believe. I mean, about a third or or less than that, uh, probably 20% has been destroyed because it's such an intricate network and are flooding some of the tunnels. They've blown up a a lot of the tunnels. You know, many are booby-trapped. It's very difficult, but you look complicated and sophisticated. Underneath the cemetery this week, they found... uh, had sleeping quarters and, you know, all sorts of uh, computer rooms and facilities for the leadership of Hamas uh, to operate from. So in the United States provides between a quarter and 35 of of the budget of the UN in total. President Trump had cut off the UNRWA funding and it was restored when the Biden administration uh, you know, it is you when it's portrayed as humanitarian aid, when in fact it is feeding the terrorist monster. Do you think, and I heard the stats that you just gave, but in general, does Israel think it's already discovered the majority of the tunnel network, or are they suspecting that they've only, you know, scratched the surface, so to speak? Like, do we have any idea what percentage of the total tunnel network has already been uncovered by Israel? Well, I think that they've mapped, they've gotten a lot of intelligence, uh, which tells them basically where it is. It doesn't mean that they've gone into all those sites. Each one has to be checked. As I told you, they, they are booby-trapped. They are There are explosives in there. They found unlimited quantities of weapons, which they can't even take back. They have to destroy it. Uh, because um, you know it's specific ammunition for the for the guns used by uh, Hamas and for the rockets. But every day they're uncovering new places. Some of them with primed rockets ready to shoot. And thank God they, they prevented many of them, and many of them continue to get fired. Then, uh, as we saw last in in the last week, uh, that they can still mount uh, ten rockets, fifteen rockets. But clearly their ability has been severely uh, limited but the the message when from the north of gaza they could fire on israel and that there's still a couple thousand terrorists even though essentially said we've cleansed it shows that you can't leave any remnant behind we learned this lesson 
from Jewish history when certain people had compassion and left part of the enemy alive only to pay the price in later generations. Well, if we if they don't do it completely, and that's why they're going to have to go back in the north and take care of the thousands that uh, of Hamas operatives that remain. And there are many, you know, even if they took care of 20,000, which would be a lot, 10,000 killed, 10,000 wounded, that there still are 10,000 members of Hamas because the estimate was they had 30,000 members. And you have Palestinian Islamic Jihad and others. So this is far from over. There's a, a lot more that has to be done. It's more than mopping up operations. And unless you clean it out completely, it's only going to come back. This cancer will metastasize once again. In his most recent statements about this, it sounds like the prime minister wants to do what you just described. I hope he doesn't take his foot off the gas, frankly, but it looks like that this, what you just described, sounds like what he calls complete victory. Well, uh, I, uh, complete victory would be hard to define, honestly. Uh, I think that has to be the goal. You see every Arab leader that I know says the same thing. Decimate them completely. You cannot leave the, anything behind. We did that in Lebanon, and you ended up with a worse situation. When If you don't eradicate all of the leadership, all of the things, it doesn't mean the civilians. We're talking about all of those who have an affiliation with the terrorist organizations, uh, and you see that they can still assert themselves. We have snipers who have taken lives of, of these most amazing fighting people from the IDF and look at their faces, look at their bios. Each one of them is a world lost and amazing people. Uh, but if we don't, if we, these people have been indoctrinated, they've been uh, brainwashed, those who have brains, and they have been, uh, they will revert if uh, if they're not eliminated and nobody wants likes to talk about you know killing people human beings but these are are showed what they really are on October 7th and continue to, to do so uh, to demonstrate what they really are these are inhumane uh, actors who who have no uh, no limitations to the barbarity in which they will engage and so the, Israel has to be given the time uh, although I think we are likely to see uh, a ceasefire, the conditions are, are what's important and whether the, the demand that this be the end to the war and the pressures that are building on Israel, even from our allies, uh, is very disturbing. The uh, number that's uh, been used this week in terms of hostages is 136 and uh, the reports I saw conjecture, I'm not sure what they base this on, but I'm sure there's some reliable information, uh, that at least 100 of them are alive. That's the conjecture. Obviously, we don't know definitively what the story is. Uh, Israel now is awaiting, according to the headlines, awaiting a decision by Hamas regarding uh, a hostage deal, which you know is outrageous to even read a headline like that. Frankly, that Israel would not be in the driver's seat, so to speak, the only country that you know operates from behind when they're winning a war. Um, and I'm not blaming them for that, by the way. I'm I'm, I'm blaming the international community for that. But anyway, um, what is the latest? Is there going to be a deal? Is the enemy going to agree to it? And how many hostages do you think will be included? So. The, the, that is all being negotiated. That it'll, it'll probably be a phased deal again, where you know Israel will be the man to release uh, people. 
and Netanyahu made clear that he's not going to release 6,000. They wanted every Palestinian prisoner released from, from the jails, which you know already constitutes a new army that will act against Israel and engage in the terrorism that, that unfortunately still continues. And Israel's preemptive actions in Yudin Shomron, the West Bank, have, have prevented that from being another front yeah. uh, at, uh, to the degree that, that uh, they had planned and the destruction of a lot of their facilities. Could, people just read it. I don't think they take into account what the significance is of the factories and the manufacturing and the seizure of weapons and the rest of individual terrorists uh, from there prevented them from mounting what was supposed to be another front against uh, Israel. So you would have had Lebanon, the Iran Shomron, and uh, and Gaza simultaneous together with the Houthis and the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq. I've talked for a long time here about the ring around Israel that Iran has successfully implemented. I think it can be destroyed. I think now the United States actions are very critical. Uh, we would all like to see them already do something about the um, defense of the uh, and to the retribution for the deadly attack on American soldiers in in Jordan. Um, but clearly, all of all the fingers point to, to Iran. But to to specifically on the deal, uh, obviously, I don't know the details. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I've heard so many different versions of it. I'm not sure that anybody really knows today all the conditions, but they would, I think the Israelis need this um, uh, hiatus, brief hiatus. They want to bring people back to work. They want to be able to uh, regroup and also to be able to shift a lot of resources to the north uh, because of the escalation there. Um, so what what the true nature will be, uh, whether it's a month, two months, three months, the international community will press for a permanent ceasefire and of course, they will go in. The media will go in, and they'll start showing pictures and saying it's a devastation, et cetera, et cetera. When in fact, if the same report on other areas of Gaza, you'd see them life functioning and and continuing. Yeah, and don't forget the city of Chicago is also demanding a ceasefire. And I think Palo- that's, that, that's that scares their mind. And and Palo, and Palo Alto is not demanding a ceasefire. They just deny that anything ever happened on October the seventh, right. <laughs> which is <coughs> which is so outrageous. Don't you agree that, and to conjecture like this is ridiculous, I get it, but if there are 136 hostages and a deal's made, I don't know, for a, a number of them, 50, so, you know, choose whatever number you want, don't you think that, that that's going to negatively affect Israeli morale uh, or, or not? Like the last time when, you know, a hostage deal goes through, it does give a boost, so to speak, to the the fact that there's hope and the fact that uh, you know there's potential for everybody to get home eventually. So you're you're raising the most uh, significant dilemma. Everybody Israelis value life. They they make immense sacrifices. You see how soldiers got, went back got killed because they went back to rescue a colleague who was shot or killed, even to rescue the bodies. Because we know what Hamas does, even to the dead. Uh, and has they desecrate everything and every standard. Um, so, the, but the people overwhelmingly, and I think everybody wants to see the return of the hostages and sees it as a top priority. And for the families who have been conducting this campaign now for what 110, 115 days, 
I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Uh, we meet them here all the time and, and, and in Israel, it, it just, each time anew, it just tears your heart out to see the suffering. Not knowing is sometimes worse than if they would at least have the, some finality, some closure uh, to it. Uh, so I, for Israel, this is a priority, getting back the hostages. I think they're willing to pay a price for that. Uh, but uh, Hamas knows that once all the uh, prisoners and all the hostages are back, then they have a free hand in resuming the war and doing the things that they couldn't do because they never knew where the tunnel, where where in the tunnels they were hidden, or where they might be, uh, you know, might kill uh, hostages in the process. And they, their intelligence has been very good. They collected so much material. And when you ask about the rest of the, before about the activities, you know, they have so much that they got from the computer centers, from the information of guys that they captured. And they've caught a lot um, who give information and tell about the hostages. And so it's not all estimates or guesstimates. It's sometimes based upon uh, observation by the uh, people who are involved themselves. So we have to we have to put ourselves though in the shoe that if you choose of the people who have to decide, and when you see the families and when you know when you feel your you know the heart rendering uh, uh, pain about the hostages, and you know you look at the longer term interests of Israel, it's it's such a tough decision. People should be much more sensitive to what the leaders of Israel have to go through. It's, it's heart rendering. Yeah. And there are other, and there are other Hezbonos, including the fact that being, having time like this to regroup for Israel would be important too. Right. And, and one other thing you've said in this conversation, which I never considered as strongly as the way you put it, is that uh, a ceasefire agreement could have the potential uh, to avoid war on other fronts. And, you know, that's obviously very, very important to the future of Israel and uh, needs to be part of the Hezbun, as you described it. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSigl.com, on the NachumSigl Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. As you said earlier, three U.S. troops were killed and dozens injured in this drone attack in Jordan. Are you disappointed by the American response or the lack of an American response? Well, frankly, we don't know yet because we keep being told that the response is coming and maybe it's being planned. In the meantime, we know that uh, Iran has moved troops out of uh, Syria, taking them out of harm's way. About They don't believe that the United States will hit Iran directly, but they'll hit their proxies in Jordan and in Syria and Iraq, rather, and um, those who were were directly involved, although it could be that these these drones can be launched from anywhere, and we saw Iran for that short period uh, doing direct hits, including against Pakistan, for which they got uh, a strong retaliation. Look, it's the only answer is that you've got to show them that the price and to to attack the United States, to attack our allies, is going to be very high, and the price has to be paid by the leaders of Iran by the by direct hits, by by a response that is not just hitting empty buildings or warehouses, but one that really takes a toll. We should be blowing up the the uh, oil fields. We should make sure that the uh, shipping shipment of oil has to stop. They're getting a billion dollars every eight to ten days. They continue 
to provide weapons. They continue to provide funding. This uh, the, they make the money from the um, shipments that Russia sends through through Iran of oil, uh, and I think that there has to be, and the people of Iran would support uh, very strong measures, even if it means economic tolls on them. But they want to see a strong response. They would like to see this regime toppled. They've demonstrated in many ways. People we speak to and hear from look at the executions that are continuing. No outcry in the world. The the devastating treatment of women. All of these things go unanswered, and they interpret it in that way. Iran is facing an election. You see already how the the Guardian Council refused Rouhani, the former president. Uh, membership in the Council of Experts, which is a precondition to being a candidate. You have to be an Ayatollah to, to be able to run for president. And, of course, the election outcome could have an impact on whose next supreme leader will be. That's a, so this, What you just um, said before is a good role for UNRWA. They should be sent to Iran to defend women's rights there. That would be good. That would be uh, very effective, no? Uh, yeah, but especially when you appoint Iran to the UN Commission on Women, when you put Iran in charge of a disarmament uh, committee, when you, I mean, it makes them a bigger mockery of the UN than any comedian could make. They make it of themselves. Did you it, see that? Is, did you see that UN report this week that Iran has slowed down its production of enriched uranium? Yeah. So the the fact is they don't need to enrich uranium, even if it's true, if assuming it's true, because they have enough. And they haven't. They have the the wherewithal, the uh, the centrifuges in place, advanced centrifuges that they can produce the enriched uranium in a matter of days and most weeks. Uh, they they have stockpiles way beyond what the law allows them, what the UN res- uh, resolutions uh, allow them. You saw that this week alone, this past week, they launched three satellites. And these are tiny little satellites they put in, but they're they're not significant. What's significant for Iran is the launching of the missiles. They're testing the ballistic missiles, which they're not allowed to do under the agreements, but they do it in the guise of you know a scientific experiment to put the weather you know satellites, uh, any other facetious term that cover for for what they're launching. But they're really just advancing their ballistic missile capacity, and this is the way that they can uh, test it. Uh, so we see the weaponization going ahead. They have enough enriched uranium. They just haven't completed the weaponization part where you affix the enriched uranium into a weapon that can be launched. But the danger, and by every estimate that I've seen and people I've spoken to, uh, they've advanced constantly on their capacity. They're developing new weapons and new weapon systems, uh, aggressive systems, that, uh, and, and people scoffed about the drones Look at what the, the Houthis have done with the Iranian drones, uh, even attacking American military uh, naval ships in the in the Red Sea, let alone all the civilian shipping, raising the price of goods for Europe, America, and around the world. You know, we don't realize and think about the leverage that they have there. You know, sometimes you just have to stop at, and and say to yourself, look what Israel is surrounded by. How miraculous is it that they're still around, that we're still around? It's unbelievable. I mean, the t- and, and that all the countries in the region are praying for Israel to finish it, to do but what, what is, they don't do. But what do. does all mean? If there's 23 Arab countries and plenty of rogue groups that you just mentioned, aren't a significant number of them hoping for the destruction of Israel or not? There are two different agendas. 
I don't think that uh, that many of them want to see Israel destroyed because Israel for them is the safeguard. If you ask, I'm telling you, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, the Bahrain, the Morocco, other countries, even some not so friendly to Israel, they all want to see Hamas destroyed because Egypt, if Hamas e- emerges. What would, what would Egypt say? Uh, for sure, wants to see Hamas destroyed, and but they they don't want to pay the price for it. They don't want to be implicated. They're afraid of what happens both domestically in their own countries, and but they're praying. and I, And I've heard it directly from them that that Israel. Uh, finished the job this time. They were angry still that Hezbollah survived uh, the war in Lebanon. They were, uh, and yet they sit and criticize Israel. And we've seen the Saudis, others do things that are very disturbing. Um, but you know they always play uh, along these lines. They they uh, they look to what will gain them stability and and the protection. Is Saudi Arabia was suffered from the attacks of the Houthis long before. Uh, the United States and, and Israel, but the they now they don't join the efforts to uh, at least openly, I should say, to right. uh, confront them. Well, you just explained. I was going to ask you about today's Jerusalem Post article about Saudi Arabia still still under these circumstances willing to make a peace agreement with Israel. Well, you just explained it. The, the most important part of their agenda is the elimination of uh, of Hamas and those types of groups which are so threatening to them. Uh, but I, they also know that they will benefit, and I've heard it directly from MBS and others, that they want Israeli technology, they want to do business, they consider, you know, Israel, as I said, a source of stability, because even if you defeat Hamas, you have so many other terrorist entities, only by destroying the capacity of Iran to support them, only by cutting off the head of the snake, can you really stop, put a stop to this and make a serious change in the region for the benefit of all of the people. The people of Iran want us to do it, the people in the country want us to do it, many of the governments want it to be done, there has to be a concerted effort and if Iran emerges unscathed, if they, if we don't make the changes, we're only going to continue to pay this price. I don't know if you saw this week there was somewhere it was published. I can't pull it up now. I don't know why I can't find it, but there was a map. I think the New York Times published it of Israeli military presence in Gaza. Uh, um, at this point, it looks like there's an Israeli military presence throughout the entire Strip. And, you know, you, you mentioned that in some areas of Gaza, you know, life continues as normal, whatever that means. But it does seem, at least from what I saw, that the that the Israeli presence there, the military presence is and I'm not just talking about the north. I'm not just talking about Khan Yunus, although people are so thrilled with the way they've acted and meaning the way the Israeli military has acted in Khan Yunus. I mean, is the is the Gaza Strip, which, you know, we debate whether Israel should, in fact, take it over again or not, really in Israeli control right now? Not fully. Uh, areas are, and remember, people are moving, populations are moving back and forth. Um, Israel has done, and you look at the assessment military experts who have gone there just in the last week or two. First of all, they talk about how targeted Israel's uh, response has been, how they try to protect civilian populations where possible. Deaths of, of people in Gaza is because of Hamas and because a lot of them you know, were in the areas of the of the activity of, of Hamas. Uh, that was not Israel's objective, and Israel Israelis pay the price, as always, in every war, because they try to conduct the most humane effort possible yep. and see and see that the descriptions of the, the measures that have put in place now, and you know that it puts more soldiers at risk when you don't just bomb. Israel could have easily carpet-bombed 
much of, of Gaza in the first uh, days afterwards, but they did it in such a careful way, in such a d- deliberate way, targeting the facilities. And I think, honestly, they were probably surprised, certainly by the extent of the underground tunnels, certainly by how much, uh, as a soldiers I talked to, uh, that they told me they have to go apartment by apartment because there are rockets in people's homes, everyone, and many of them are booby-trapped. They also have explosives in the homes, and they literally have to go room by room to check it out, to clean it out, to make sure that they can't uh, launch again. You there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, what, what do you think of this uh, action by the President of the United States, sanctions on Israeli settlers? I don't know who who they think they're satisfying by by doing it. I do think that illegal activities by anybody should be dealt with by the uh, countries. Certainly Israel has demonstrated that it does. Um, I think, you know, this is an attempt to be able to show that, that, you know, we act against everybody that uh, we want, that we're even-handed or or, um, uh, maybe it's to satisfy elements within uh, you know, the more extreme elements in the Democratic Party or in Congress or elsewhere to show that they've taken some sort of an action. Uh, so, again, I think there should not be illegal activity by anybody. They should be held to account. But this, uh, these measures and, and the, you know, the efforts of some in the media to equate them as if they are, you know, the terrorists also, go and look at the circumstances in which they live. Go and understand the real dynamic on the ground. I think it'd get a very different picture. And, you know, we're living in such a, an awful era of inexplicable things. And and I, when you were talking about the map, I thought you were going to, to raise the map that was found in the New York school yeah. showing, showing uh, the Middle East with Palestine and not Israel. And when I, uh, we spoke to the superintendent, he said, well, what do you mean? It's been there for 12 years. Hmm. That's an answer to been there for 12 years. And it turns out that Qatar has poured a million dollars into funding, according to reports, the, the schools there, and that they set up these uh, Arab culture clubs in the public schools. And even worse, we find out that there is a thing called woke kindergarten. That's a real curriculum. It's a program. You can go online and look at it and see how they took the wheels on the bus to change to the wheels on the tanks being taught in the kindergartens in public schools and that teachers are justifying their instruction where they are, are teaching in the classrooms uh, anti-Israel agendas and we're poisoning the minds of young people, not in Gaza, not in uh, Lebanon, in New York City. And the, the we want to see where's the mayor, the head of the Board of Education. Now they've introduced a new program to fight anti-Semitism. I want to know whether the teachers who were involved, the principals who were involved, are they disciplined? Have What actions have been taken? You see that the kid, Jewish kids are leaving. I want to credit the, uh, the organization that was created, the Public School Alliance of Parents. Now about 1,500 teachers and others have come, and we're now learning from more and more teachers about how their lives have been made impossible in, in the schools, Jewish teachers. And the, the, we, we don't have to look thousands of miles away to see it. A, a member of the London City Council you know, had a, is stepping down, a Jewish member, because he was so harassed and his family so harassed that he couldn't take it anymore. 
I mean, we're, we're living in an era of, of amazing challenges, and we need everybody to speak up. We have to be supporting these groups. The lawsuits on the campuses across the United States are so important, getting the donors to stop the funding, the, the, the cancerous activities on our campuses. Every time it's like un- discovering all these underground tunnels of what we find in the underground in, in, in the universities, funded very generously by outside sources and inside sources, uh, and with people being moved from campus to campus, people being trained. This it's just unbelievable. And as much as you know, I've talked about the university things, and we started lawsuits a long time ago. We never knew how how extensive and how the universities have become tools of not only the woke culture, but of the anti-Israel and anti-Semitic activities. Yeah, and and really everything has, from the Chicago yes. City Council to, you know, to, to every town meeting, it seems, in this mm-hmm. country. I mean, every category in every industry seems to be divided among those who believe in truth and justice and those who, you know, have this terrible tilt uh, toward anti-Semitism. I hate to put it in such simple terms. That's the way it seems, though. And it's I hate, but you're right. Yeah. Two other things disturbed me this week. Um, we talk about hopefully coming out of this situation in Israel with a greater unified front, especially politically, right? I mean, politically, we know what was going on before the war, and we're praying that there'll be some type of uh, either figure or atmosphere of unity that's going to evolve from this. And hopefully the way the government operates will be very different from the way it's operated in the past. That's our hope. And then they have this gathering in Binyanei Ha'oma of thousands of people who feel it's important to go back to Gaza and, you know, retake it over, so to speak. And do you, do you hear the rhetoric that goes on, the way, the, way, the way people describe what that gathering was all about, the extreme language that they use? I mean, I don't think we're going to get the unity we're looking for if if this is, you know, if, if in fact, whether you feel it was a legitimate gathering or not, or a legitimate point of view, there is a way to describe and a way to offer uh, opposition to what's going on at that rally. And I don't think we've learned much from that in terms of uh, how we should, we should be speaking publicly about these things. That is so true. Uh in general, I mean, we talk about the things that should current outcome, you know, what happens to the hostages, what happens to the prisoners, what happens to the security, what happens inside Israel, that the demonstrations and the divisions reemerge, that the people are pitted against one another. Uh, so far, there is no clear outcome, I think. But right now, the focus has to be on prosecuting the war. Israel has to remain united. I think largely it is. I think many barriers were broken during this time. I think October 7th is such a turning point that people look at Israel differently. Uh, you see the courage, the dedication of, of the soldiers, people losing limbs or eyesight, eyes go back to the battle, go back to the front. They insist on rejoining their units. It's beyond human understanding. And the, the spirit after all of these months remain so high. Every time I go there, and, and I'll be going again in a couple of days, it's just so, it's impossible to comprehend for most of us because to see the dedication to the state, to the to each other, I hope that that maybe will be translated. The problem is that, you know, there's the, the divisions are going to be very stark and the um, it's not going to be clear that, that there is a leader that will emerge that can 
somehow re- reunited, whether it's Netanyahu or somebody else. Met most people, the polls certainly don't seem to indicate that. I I agree that this, that's still the Klan Israel and certainly of the people of Israel uh, is more important than ever. I still believe we will have see a big aliyah, a full or partial aliyah from Europe, from the United States, from elsewhere. People coming to understand Israel's importance to us in many in very different ways than they did before. But the internal situation, that internal threat, has always been the greatest danger to the Jewish people. And the other disappointment I want to bring up, and I know it's it's terrible to do this, you know, when we have zero time left, but. The, the the Secretary of State of the United States is talking about recognizing a Palestinian state. I mean, it's out for those of us who think a Palestinian state is outrageous under these circumstances. Okay, that that for sure. But it is unbelievable how the reward for terrorism and the reward for being anti-Israel and exhibiting it in the most barbaric ways that the reward is going to be having their own state and recognized by the U.S. The whole thing is outrageous. And you know, and once you start down this path. There's no limit. You're not. Uh, the president said something about it not being, uh, uh, not having a military, but that message is going to be lost. That once you start the stampede to, to a Palestinian state, because of the domestic pressures inside the really England uh, jumping as they usually do with the United States and uh, getting on the bandwagon of uh, of a Palestinian uh, state emerging, they don't even set the conditions. We don't even have the precursors that would make it possible to have a Palestinian state. They they can't even operate the corruption and the the uh, what's happened in Gaza where they had the opportunity to create a Palestinian entity and and what what they did with it. The Palestinian Authority, Abbas popularity is is minimal. The to really control the situation we know is minimal. So people are are jumping on this bandwagon as if it's just some sort of a meaningless declaration. It is not. And war terrorists, if you reward, they they can become. They will be the heroes. They will be the ones who will ultimately emerge in power. So people should be very careful when they talk about and those who favor what they call a two state solution and those who who uh, favor other measures that have taken, you got to think about what the implication, when you see Tom Friedman again emerging as a spokesman on some of this stuff, mm-hmm. it should make pause because he hasn't been right on anything yet. Mm-hmm. It's not going to start now. Yeah, maybe, maybe like two days after the war was the last time I agreed with him about anything, but that's, uh, <laughs> you, know how people, you know how people are after the attack like that all of a sudden. You, you mean the war of independence. <laughs> well, of independence. some might actually refer to this war as a war of independence. Uh, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Have a great job. Malcolm Holmline, uh, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM.